Hello, and welcome to CMO Combos, the CMO Alliance podcast, the show where we get the opportunity for conversations with CMOs and top-level marketers around the world on what it takes to be a modern CMO. Today, I'm speaking to Alan Gleason, fractional CMO for B2B SaaS startup companies and founder of Work With Agility, on the big differences between being a startup CMO in Europe and the States and what skills CMOs need to survive and thrive in that environment. Hi, Alan. Welcome to CMO Convos. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. I'm in West London here. The sun is shining, so it puts me in a good mood. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a good time for the sun to be shining in, in London with the lockdown easing and stuff, I bet. Um, like I've certainly been enjoying things up in Liverpool. Yeah, I know. It's great. I mean, there's a lot more normality kind of being restored, which is uh, long overdue. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to kind of an extended spring and summer now. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, but um, to the topic at hand, which is your work as a CMO, uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself and your your background, like how you, how you got into the CMO role and maybe like your your most recent CMO roles, because you're, you're a fractional CMO, so it's quite like a diverse array of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the fraction CMO is almost a, an interesting term. It's it's kind of back to the fact that um, increasingly you can be a freelancer or a consultant or a part-time CMO, and it's kind of it's quite effective model, particularly in the UK. Um, how I got into it, it's an interesting journey. I guess if I go all the way back to the early days in university, my primary degree was, was economics and marketing. And then I did an, um, an MSc in, in strategic management and marketing. So I guess my, my marketing hat was always there. Um, I'm from Ireland originally, as you have picked up in the accent, um, but uh, I moved to the UK sort of straight out of university on a graduate program. So actually, my initial years in the UK were working with Barclays. I was on the graduate scheme there and, and stayed in Barclays for seven, seven or eight years in sort of strategic roles. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess finance didn't appeal to me as much as sort of strategy and marketing. And I ended up uh, around the time um, of the kind of internet was emerging almost, uh, and I'm giving my age away there a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I had a client in Barclays that was a software company in America, and uh, it kind of got me interested in tech and software. And I actually started, when I when I left banking, I started running a small subsidiary for an American software company, and that was primarily um, a marketing role, sort of lead gen market creation. And I've been in it ever since. So in more recent years, I guess I've been head of marketing CMO of a couple of mostly VC-backed companies, mostly B2B SaaS, so software as a service. That's kind of very much my sweet spot. And probably for the last four or five years, then, Will, I've operated as a fractional CMO, essentially. And that's a senior marketing person that's not full-time. And I guess it's filling the C-suite for these companies that are probably pre-Series B, they can't afford to kind of fill out the C-suite. So therefore they can bring in um, senior leadership that can sort of support the marketing function without having to have a full-time person in situ. So being in that kind of that kind of role, are you able to approach these roles with a, a set philosophy to being a CMO or is it something you have to adapt to the situation? Like, do you go into these companies with like a standard playbook and an idea behind how you're going to be a CMO or is it more of like an adaptive thing? It's a, it's a great question, right? And I think it's it's a very important question. And I'll tell you why is you, you can't really have a playbook, right? So um, the reason, and, and I think, which is kind of provocative in some respects, right? Because we all write content, we read content, we want to look for playbooks, we want to look for recipes, we want to look for blueprints. That's the way the world operates, right? But the reality is, is that, and this is why it makes it so fascinating and tricky, right? Is that 
you know, there are such unique characteristics um, to different businesses that you can't really deploy the same playbook. And, and I'll give you some examples. So, and again, the lens that I'm talking through here is very much B2B software. You know, resourcing is a huge issue. So some places there's big teams, some places there's only one or two teams. Some places have got, um, you know, they're still in their kind of pre a series A stage of trying to find out whether there's demand for the offering. Others are in categories that are um, exploding and, and there's sort of, um, you know, all of a sudden lots of competition to, to worry about. Um, this, so there's different stages of the cycle. There's fundraising. Some are very resource constrained. They're more at the bootstrapped end of the spectrum. Um, others have a little bit more cash. So I think there's a huge mix of elements that come into play, which is, I, I guess, which is why I think there's a lot of value in the sort of roles that people and I can bring, because I guess, you know, it's not as if there's a huge amount of years of experience in the UK for B2B software. It's a fairly new category. Um, and, you know, often there's, you know, a cap on salaries, which means that sort of talent pool is is you know, a certain threshold or a certain level. And sure, you can learn and, and kind of grow from it. But actually, you know, part of the challenge, I think, is, is that there's just, you know, it's not easy to follow playbooks. Um, you, you can, but you have to adapt them for your own circumstances. I think one of the, the dangers with the idea of playbooks, particularly with the, the European or UK startup landscape, is a lot of the playbooks and a lot of like the the marketing insights that we get are all US focused and we all seem people seem to be quite familiar with like the US startup landscape sort of by osmosis pop culture like you get an idea of how the startup system works there but then i think people get a bit surprised when they try and set up startups here um like what are the big differences between you mentioned like resources and like um caps on salaries and stuff but what are the big differences between the, the, the european and the uk startup scene and the american one for, for people who might not be familiar uh, particularly like our, our american audience who might not be familiar with how things work over here yeah no look it's a it's a great question right and i think um you know uh, you know one of the key things is undoubtedly resourcing right so if you look at the kind of typical raises in the us it's sort of seed and series a rounds um they're often five or ten x greater in the us than they are in 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 the uk ireland or europe right so you know, and that creates a very, very different dynamic because, you know, a, a two million seed round, as you'll see often here, you know, in an enterprise B2B sort of so software context, doesn't go very far if you're trying to um, aggressively generate extra leads and, and paid acquisition is increasingly an important part, right? So that resource gap is, is a huge issue really, right? So it means we're a lot leaner and more um, bootstrapped here, but it means there's also a lot more demand on, on time and, and, and kind of, and then it, it gets quite frustrating, right? So it's very easy for a CEO to come and say, hey, we need this amount of growth or you need to be doing X, Y, and Z because I can see or, you know, someone in the US is doing it. And, and the reality is, is that it's not apples to apples. There's no like for like kind of, you know, comparison in that again, it's not just like the cash piece, it's the number of people in a marketing function. It's the tech stack, you know, and I'm more familiar with in the UK working with teams of two, three, four, five, that, that small numbers, particularly in the kind of pre-series B range. And, um, you know, it's very hard to kind of, you know, 
you know, the playbooks are coming from the US and it sounds great. You should be doing this and 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 you should be doing. And it's like an ever growing list, right? And of course, the other thing then is that forces knock on effects that aren't all too readily understood. So one example might be, you know, if there's a smaller raise and you're more resource constrained, you know, the marketing function is going to have to be very focused on demand gen and lead gen. The US companies can have a bit more of a broader mix, right? So the marketing function can get involved in branding if needed, which is again, you know, an important element that gets kind of eliminated in Europe because you can't really afford to do it in these early days. Our product marketing, um, or another one that's often missed is that, you know, the raise comes in and you see them looking for things like growth hackers, which, which is kind of is madness because in the early days, you really need someone that's less on the lead gen, but more on the kind of market research, product market piece where they're really out talking to customers, validating that the assumptions behind the startup are, are, are true and fair, and then using that to kind of craft, um, you know, marketing plans where often that just gets eliminated because there's this rush to, you know, we've only raised X, we're going to be out of cash in another 18 months, therefore we got to accelerate this lead gen process. So then you, they, they go into it and, you know, messaging could be off or they may have the wrong target personas or they may not have talked to enough enough people. And then I guess the, the other kind of pieces to throw into the mix are, you know, in the US, you've got 300 million on your doorstep, plus Canada, plus you pick up UK, Ireland and, and Europe. Um, you know, Europe is a lot more fragmented, right? So, you know, the main market is always the UK. Um, but look at it through an English lens. The only main, you know, English speaking countries are kind of UK and Ireland. And then you've got different currencies between countries. You've got you know, after Brexit, you've got people in different political jurisdictions. So it's definitely a more um, challenging environment in some ways. Um, that's not me being despondent or me not being, you, you know, down on it. There's still a very, you know, viable ecosystem here in Europe, but it's just got very different characteristics. And often American companies, you, you know, may not be aware of some of these factors. I imagine talent has got to be quite tricky as well. Like you go, you go to the San Francisco, Palo Alto, and you, you chuck a rock and you hit someone who's got startup experience. Whereas in the UK, because you said like the B2B SaaS startup landscape is quite fresh, like it must be quite tricky to find like the people who have the experience to help build those companies. Like it's, everyone's going to have to be sort of operating by the seat of their pants kind of thing to get work out and develop the skills they need. Yeah. Look, look, it's a great point, right? Cause there's a few elements that play into it. So obviously software as a service relies on a fast broadband connection, right? So like I can remember 56K dial-ups where, you know, you heard the pinging in the background and you were hoping to get a connection. Now you clearly couldn't run a software as a service business back in those days. So it's time bound by being relatively recent in, in that sense. The other kind of key point built into it is, is the sort of the timescales, right? So, you know, it takes time to kind of build these businesses. And I'm, I'm thinking, of course, there's outliers, right? But for the most part, these are 10 and 15 and 20 year plays. So when you start looking at through the lens of, you know, we had 56K dial up not so long ago. Um, and then there just hasn't been huge exits, right? So again, if you look at it through that cycle, so, you know, there's definitely, um, you, you know, a lack of, of people that have, you know, gone through an exit, right? And, and there's just not huge amounts in, in, in Europe at the moment. So, and same on the scale-up piece, right? So, so like there's often a disproportionate focus on startups when actually I know there's certainly people lobbying 
in the UK on this whole scale-up piece, and they're arguing we should be putting a lot more focus on scale-ups. And I think there's a lot of merit in that argument. So scale-ups, just for clarity, will be those that are probably, I don't know, they, they may have hit two to five million revenue. Um, they're kind of through the startup phase. They're, they're very much on a growth trajectory. And, you know, the tech press tends to kind of favor X raised to Series A or Y raised to seed or, or, or you know, so so I think there's definitely an opportunity to accelerate the sort of the, the sort of scale up section. But yeah, the lack of talent is 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 a challenge. Um, I guess going back to the very early kind of start of this call, though, there are what I would call more, um, you know, there are more interesting options that are of course in place. So, so so clearly there are models like the one that I operate, whereby you have people with experience that can sort of contribute on a, on a, on a part-time or consultancy basis. So, so they are, you know, they're not wedded to one particular company. They have a portfolio. So, so, so that kind of option can help, you know, sh- kind of spread the experience load for want of a better um, sense. And then you are seeing things like, you know, obviously with remote working, people plugging into talent, um, you, you, you know, more broadly. And, and I have seen recently, for example, a number of European companies hiring, you know, heads of or chief marketing officers and they've been domiciled. You know, some of them have been in the States, actually, whereby they've realized, actually, our main growth market is the US. Um, therefore, it's best to have the lead being familiar with that market. And by the way, there's a sort of a slightly broader talent pool there. The flip side is then you, you do need to have a more chunky checkbook because, you know, classic demand and supply, these people are expensive. So you, you mentioned having US-based CMOs for European companies. Does that mean they would have to develop certain skills to like adapt to the European landscape? You, even if their main focus is the States, they still have to understand how the European um, sort of B2B SaaS landscape works. Like what are the skills that you'd need to be a, a successful B2B SaaS CMO in Europe, in the UK? Yeah, to, to, so to be successful in, in, in Europe, I think you've got to be a voracious reader. I mean, it, it's fast moving and it's not for those that think my learning stops at 25. Right? <laughs> I mean, I think, you, you know, you do, you do really need to be... Um, uh, you do have to have an appetite for, um, you know, keeping abreast of things. It, it's so fast moving. Um, I think, you know, another thing is, you, uh, you know, data, you know, being, being strong on data and analytics, I think, you know, is, is another thing um, because, you know, there's an awful lot of data created by um, technology companies and software companies. And again, this goes back to my earlier resourcing question or point, right, is that, there's almost so much data, it can be very hard to derive insights, right? You need actionable insights and, you know, you can have people spinning up things like Data Studio and, but data's nuanced, right? So for example, take Google Analytics, which runs on most um, software websites, right? You need to apply lots of filters, right? To, to the data coming out there. And, and there's inherent flaws with people that don't apply filters. So filters could be, you know, you might make assumptions about the traffic on your website, but actually when you filter out, you find actually there was a spam bot hit us in February and that was the, that, that accounted for a huge chunk of traffic in February. And um, we have a login button on our website. So there's a lot of people coming to our website to log in. So if they are skewing the data because they're not being filtered out or we've got, you know, 150 people in the office that are logging on to, are going onto the website every day. So there's internal traffic. So, so you've got to be, you've got to be kind of very strong on data, but it's got to be, very focused on what I would call actionable insights. You, like you've got to be, 
it's easy, as I said, to just throw up data studio, but not being not taking action on, on, on the back of it. So um, so that's important. And then some softer skills like like are really, really important. So time management, um, because it's just always way too much to do. So, you know, you got to be really focused on what I call the unit economics and making sure that your time is is being aligned with sort of the, the outcomes. Things like prioritization, you know, again, it sounds like a very simple sort of idea, but you know, the main thing that you're juggling as a, as a CMO is is what you got to prioritize and, and sort of how do you ensure that you're optimizing when it's one of those functions where there's a lot of external noise and a lot of external interference. So you will get people lobbing grenades over the fence around, you know, why aren't we doing this or why aren't we doing that? Um, you know, because everyone wants to have an opinion on it. And, uh, and so there's can be a lot of you know, external noise. So again, prioritization needs to be key. So, so there are some of the kind of qualities I think that you you definitely need and skills as a. Um, and then I, I guess the other interesting one is, is you know how how much do you need to get into the um, the weeds, right? Because if you think about it, you'll be operating in a domain. So the domain could be market research software or accountant software or whatever the domain is. So you need to know the domain. Right, you need to understand who are my buyers, what are the buyer personas, what are the stakeholders in the purchase decisions. You then need to sort of you know know the kind of software unit economics and the tech and some of the stuff we've talked about. But then how deep do you go on the various elements like <clears throat> analytics or, or PPC? Do you really need to get into the weeds? And I'd argue probably not. <clears throat> you want to be able to delegate effectively there. So these these skills that you've got to develop to have, like how do you go about learning these skills are they something you can learn on the job or is it something you can pick up from other sources before you reach the cmo role is it like a trial by fire for a cmo or is it something you can learn on your way up to that position yeah look it's, it's a great question and, and look again there's, there's a real mix i'd argue so um i guess i'm not your typical cmo either right so so um you know background in economics and marketing from a kind of primary degree uh, i've also done an mba right so, so again i've kind of got um, and that sort of helps sort of with foundations around more macro stuff and strategic stuff and unit economics. So I guess my kind of skill set is, is is a bit unusual, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, I go back to some of the points I made earlier on being having a voracious appetite for reading. Of course, the thing I think part of the trick is almost um, trying to know what to read because of course we're overwhelmed with with content right we're overwhelmed with video content so it's trying to be um i guess a couple things recognizing that in life right there's kind of hard skills which which you kind of you, you know you need to know to, to do certain jobs and then there's soft skills because uh, you know, you need to be able to relate to people. You need empathy. You need emotional intelligence. You need so they're almost just good, I guess, interpersonal skills that you're going to get through, you know, your your journey through life, right? And and sort of um, uh, and and I guess it's just trying to like for me, I've got a couple of you know, external um, writers or commentators that stra straddle everything from psychology to economics to kind of data to analytics. That I kind of over time I've recognized these these are really the ones that you know I, I never get a bad article from. Um the slight drawback with with the kind of with that is is something you kind of touched on earlier is that yeah, they're all American, they're predominantly male. Um yeah, you know, so so I do recognize the inherent bias with that. 
Um, what I would say is that I'm aware of it and I'm consciously trying to kind of follow more um, a more diverse kind of pe- background, including more more female writers. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, a need for more thought leadership out of out of European B two B SaaS people. I think, um, and I think it's coming. Right, there's some you know um, great initiatives going on, pretty much like this one. Right, so there's there's increasingly bringing people together. Um, you know, people like um, Alex at, at SaaS Doc. You know, creating you know SaaS network and looking to really bring. Uh, you know, create that ecosystem. So, um, not the most straightforward answer. I think I'm, I'm arguing a mix, really. And uh, you know, I think the going back to the point, there's no essential playbook. People will have different routes to kind of where they they get to to their sort of senior role. But it does mean a mix of hard and soft skills. Um, tailing um, tailing back to the the interpersonal stuff and the idea about understanding other people. I think that. That's got to be very important for a European CMO. Like as you said, Europe's a lot more fractional than it is compared to America, and we like to pretend that business doesn't have borders. But in Europe, there can be a lot of different business environments. The way business is practiced, the way business is set up, can vary from country to country. Like how do how do you go about getting to understand the different like business cultures and how you market to them? Um, like is is there a one size one size fits all for for SaaS in Europe or do like CMOs have to adapt their strategies between different countries in a, in a lot bigger way than a US focused startup would have to do? Yeah, I mean, I'd argue. So, so I guess one of the benefits of SaaS, right, is that you almost start with a global audience. So, so that's almost taken for granted, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the big markets for, for most software applications, you know, it's the US is the, the big gorilla in the room and UK will often be second. Um and then if you bring the sorry the English speaking countries together and you you include Ireland sort of South Africa Australia New Zealand you know that as a kind of cohort so um and what you'll find is consumption of many of these software applications in in Europe is actually weaker in most most of the other countries so it's kind of very heavily the early days are very heavily skewed to you know English software applications Germany is 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 probably the other big market, right? Um, now, what you do find is that if if your solution is B two B and it's sort of a for, for, for professionals, that many of these you know countries in Europe will have um, you know there will be English speaking right at, at the kind of the at the professional level. So so that kind of covers that. So so it's less of an issue, I'd argue. I, I think there's just this assumption that you know particularly for UK companies, we'll create an English language version. Um, we, you know, we're going out on the world, and we and, and different applications will have div- different pools of demand, right? So, so you know, your solution will be, you know, the, the domestic market in the UK will often be the, the kind of the kind of front runner. Um, where it starts getting interesting, I guess, is is those con- companies that sort of get founded in places like Belgium, right? So, what you'll often find there, and again, I've experienced working in in continental Europe is you know, it's a lot trickier, right? So they're kind of trying to cater for their domestic market as well as they're kind of, so they're looking at, you know, domestically, do we do um, Dutch? Do we do French? Do we do um, German? You know, and, and often they what they miss with all of that is that there's a very high cost to that decision. So by that, I mean, you almost have to run four sets of website. And every time you add one, it means that there's a huge extra cost. So if there's a new blog produced, we have to translate it in these different languages. And then you get into kind of challenges around which currency do we anchor in? 
right? So you're stuck straight away if you find that in Europe, the, the biggest player is in the UK, so that's sterling. Um, your rest of Euro is in, land is in, in Euro. Um, and then you've got American um, dollars, right? So, so you can have currency fluctuations if, if you're trying to kind of, kind of almost arbitrage between the three of them. So it's it's a lot more complex, right? So you know, I I try and kind of, um, you know, again, most of my kind of experiences is even though I have worked in continental Europe is with UK and Irish companies, and their kind of default out the gate is this is a global solution. We're writing predominantly in English. We're we're catering predominantly for, um, you know, US, UK, and Irish markets um, initially. And then if the data suggests otherwise, you can start looking at, at alternatives. And when I say the data, I mean, again, Google Analytics can tell you where are, are, are people coming from. And if you see, you know, particular hotspots, you can then look at sort of localization. But I, I guess the point I'm making is it comes at quite a cost. So it's really a decision, I think, for those that are probably at the Series B level, because if you try and introduce, you know, some of this in, in too early, again, it's just layering on extra cost, making it too... Um, owners for the marketing function and um, you know then you're kind of it's adding even more stuff to the list of to-dos when they're already swamped as it is yeah why why make why make sorry why make more work for yourself like at the end of the day right right but you do have to watch things like pricing pages right whereby Mm -hmm. you know if you put put fixed exchange rates and there's a big skew in in pricing because of an fx movement you know, you could go from being, you know, very competitive to be completely uncompetitive. So you could find that your, um, you know, your, your your kind of market demand in certain markets could collapse. So I know there are solutions out there that sort of can give you more dynamic pricing. And then the other thing to kind of watch is site speed, right? So again, it sounds like, a, you know, a tiny point, but if your growth market is the US and you don't have a server there, you could think you've got a very fast website because you're in the office, the website's cached, looks really fast, but for someone in the, in the US, it's taken seven seconds to load, which is going to be too long. So again, you need to keep an eye on those things as well. And if you don't have a base there, you can't go and test that. There's no way that you'd know that's a problem until you, you start actually, getting... Yeah, no, no, you can. So there's Pingdom. There's a few tools. Ah. Google have, um, have a tool you can use, but Pingdom is the, is the kind of main one. It's free. You can literally designate the city that you want it to be tested from, and that gives you the evidence then. Ah, perfect. That's a good, that's a great tip. Yeah. And um, the other thing actually is in Google Analytics, you can probably filter based on um, site speed by geography, so that could help as well. Ah, awesome. most people are, are okay on this, but it it could be something to just keep an eye on. But it's still stuff that European CMOS will have to adapt to and and have, keep in mind that maybe US CMOS might not have to have to factor in. Exactly, and and it kind of goes back to this piece that the experience piece, right? Because there's not a whole lot of you know, blogs or articles telling you these kind of things, you almost learn. And I probably learned once by recognizing that our, um, going back to the data point earlier, that we seem to be, you know, struggling with our with our US clients. And I was thinking, why, why is it kind of tapered off? And, you know, the two areas then that I kind of isolated were the, the price dynamic and FX and the, and the site speed checks. And sort of when you kind of go through the process and see the both of those are an issue, then you never forget, right? So that's kind of, why it's front of mind, but if, if you're a junior marketer that's kind of never been exposed to th- this issue, um, then you're not going to be aware of it, right? So, so that's kind of that's the kind of inherent complexity with this, right? So that's where the experience thing comes in. And similar, you know, you know, another example would be blogging, right? You you get a junior marketing person, they write content, but if they don't know, 
you know, things like, well, when your content is written, you need to, you know, index it in Google Search Console, or you got to make sure that you got optimized meta titles and meta descriptions, or you got to make sure that you got backlinks from other blogs to this new blog, um, or you got to have an amplification plan in place when you write something again, stuff that sort of um, experienced CMOs will be aware of, but those that are more junior won't be, and they just got to learn, I guess, on, on the job on that thing, on those things. So it, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like European CMOs have to be scrappier. Is that a good term than uh, for it than US CMOs? Do you think this sort of like trial by fire that they have to go through, they, they kind of learn on the job because they don't have the resources, like the, the learning resources available. Does that give successful European CMOs sort of an advantage over US CMOs? Like they're not, they're not, not getting stuff handed to them on a plate in the same way. Yeah, look, there's, there's no doubt that I, I like the word scrappy, right? I think resourceful <laughs> and resilient are, are, are also kind of um, terms. So, so I think, um, does it make them better? It, it certainly makes them different, right? Because I think there's, there is a deficiency to the model too, right? So, so clearly um, there's a lot of value for many US CMOs, right? To have a kind of, a, you know, a full stack team and a full tech stack that's sort of optimized early on, right? That um, can probably make you, you know, enable you to do a lot more sophisticated stuff than you can probably do in Europe, right? So I think they're, they're, they're quite different. Um, I think, you, you know, from a European point of view, it just, you know, we're probably, um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely probably more resourceful because we've got to get more done with less. So we're probably more reliant on, you know, using contacts or Upwork for freelance people or, um, using our network more actively to kind of backfill fill, fill stuff. So I think it, they're quite different, if I'm honest, um, which is better. I don't know. In some ways, I prefer working in a more resource-rich environment. I think, um, and maybe that's a, that's a challenge for me personally, right? Maybe I need to kind of start moving up the food chain a little bit into these companies that have got, you know, um, that are in scale upright and that have the resources, and then you can kind of almost add a lot more value because you're, you're at the more strategic level. Talking about like the the US landscape in comparison to the European landscape again. Is the US landscape always going to be like this? Are they always going to be the resource rich ones and Europe's going to be resource poor? Or do you think you could see the the playing field balancing a little bit? Like people have been talking about the tech bubble bursting for a long time and it hasn't yet. Could that happen? And could there be a situation where CMOs in America suddenly have to be, start behaving like European CMOs being scrappier and more resourceful? Um, I mean, I think, you, you know, I think there, there'll always be a gap, right? So it's more than just the kind of like, there's definitely a more, it's not just the 300 million people on your doorstep and the more cash brought in at the kind of early stage. I, I think there's there's a richer ecosystem. So it's ca catching up, right? There's no doubt about it. There's, you know, if you look at, um, and, and again, actually, you know, one of the tricky things is it's probably not all the US, it's it's probably pockets around, particularly around Silicon Valley and, and sort of the, the 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 West Coast, right? So there's large swathes of the US that probably are kind of more on a par with, with, with Europe. Um, I guess there's just natural advantages to having such a huge domestic market, right? That, that, that does help. And, and I, you know, I'm familiar with, um, you know, startups in Ireland, startups in Finland, which are kind of, you know, brilliant startups, but they lack the natural advantage. At least the UK has got a got a strong, a good population, but let's say Ireland and Finland both have some fantastic companies coming out of there. Um, 
but some of them need to move kind of early to the US, Stripe being an example, you know, out of Ireland. So I think there will be always that natural advantage. Um, does it mean I'm despondent or downbeat about it? No, because I think there's some interesting kind of dynamics playing out. So there was a philosophy for a while that these markets were all sort of winner takes all. Um, but actually what's kind of, you know, evolving is that there's no doubt that there's these markets are pretty big and growing and most categories can kind of, you know, um, can contain a number of players, right? And often, sure, there can be a US lead that maybe takes all the enterprise end of the market, but there can be plenty of room for, for local European companies to be exceptionally profitable and exceptionally well run. Um, they may not be the, the unicorn outliers that kind of are going to give VCs the, the, the kind of, you know, 100x um, exits that, that, that they desire, but I think you'll have you know, a, you know, a recalibration almost of this, you know, VC based almost, um, you know, all, all the chips are in black and that there's just this one unicorn we need to deliver. I think there'll be a lot more recognition that you can build very viable growing companies that, um, you know, not saying they lack ambition or that they're, that, you know, they, they will be growing, and but they may not need to be kind of, guys, it's all in, we need to be the winner takes all and therefore we need to, um, you know, dominate the market. I think, you know, with software, what we're recognizing increasingly is positioning is very, very important because, you know, there are, um, most markets will have entrance, the competition is increasing because barriers to entry are kind of declining. And therefore, you know, there are, like, like when I look at most of my clients, that there are very, very busy markets, right? So I think that's how it will play out. And sure, the US have natural advantages, but similarly, they're probably um, not as strong when it comes to Europe for a lot of the stuff, you, you know, what we talked about earlier. So actually many of them will look at acquisition in Europe because they might view it as, you know, it's a complicated market. We don't fully understand it. Um, you know, do, do we do boots in the ground and do an organic play or do we do an acquisition and take someone out? So I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm not despondent. I think they've got very different characteristics and I'm very, bullish and optimistic about you know european software um i just think there might be a slight reframing of the kind of um you know the kind of historic approach which was as i said very vc dominated on these you know unicorn outcomes when i think you know you can build perfectly you know strong businesses 20 50 million um you know strong you know numbers employed grow nicely um you know and uh, what what's not to like about that right what what is not to like about that? That sounds great. Um, I think on, that sounds on a nice, optimistic note to uh, to end it there, Alan. Uh, thank you very much. Um, do you have uh, just before we go? Do you have any final piece of advice to people who are in the CMO, fresh new CMOs into the B two B SaaS landscape in Europe? Like, what's your what's your main piece of advice? Like, what should they do first to make set themselves up for success? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things, Will. So um, I think there's um, being data-driven. That helps, right? So kind of, you know, getting into what I call unit economics early on, I think um, is important. Prioritization is key. You know, use Trello, use Teamwork, use Asana, whatever you, you need to kind of prioritize. Um, toggle for time tracking so you can, you know, just, just use, use whatever is at your disposal. Go read, right? Pick pick out the, some fantastic resources, um, you know, and go network, right? So part of if you look at the CMO Alliance and and, and sort of SaaS and other bodies, that you know there is 
Um, you know, I was formerly be on a, a platform called Growth Mentor, where I use mentor um, aspiring um, CMOs. So what I would, I'm, I'm giving you a long-winded answer, answer <laughs> to Will, but I guess the one piece of advice I go is actually just, just reach out to people. People will, you know, help. They will, don't try and do it all yourself. Um, I'm a mentor on, on Enterprise Ireland. I've got a, a scale-up program where again, an enterprise Ireland are probably the biggest early stage VC in Europe, right? So, so they're um, with Irish B2B software companies. And, you know, that's a great means to kind of get access to senior senior kind of people. So yeah, I would use your network. Don't try and do it all your own. Um, you know, look for people to chat to, bounce ideas off. Um, don't, don't do it in isolation. To pull out a cliche, it takes a village, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Absolutely. It certainly yeah. does, right? So I think that's a, that's a fair strategy, a fair point. Thank you very much for your time, Alan. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with more CMO combos.